general responses, at least, to illness by God. Um, the body was being designed with an ability to heal, and some things need time to get better. The second was seek the doctor, pharmacy, and paramedical. Third was God's promise of strength and help in difficult and ongoing health problems. Fourth is miraculous healing, and the fifth is death itself. So again, responses one to four, uh, as beautiful as they are at times, have limited benefit. New illnesses occur, we continue to age, and eventually face death. Response five, though, death itself, is stepping through death, coming directly into his presence, is a glorious benefit for God's people. There are no limitations, no illness, no ageing, no more death. It's the ultimate place to be. Response five, uh, sorry, um, so what is God's purpose in his responses to illness? It's his glory, our growth, but his glory. He wants us to rely on his presence and revelation within relationship with him and to focus on Jesus, not our illness, is the way to find God's peace. Now, for those who are asking about our cat following last week, yes, still alive and well and keeping us warm at night. <laughs> um, Neville suggested to Helen, make sure you look after that cat really well. <laughs> um, so I'd like this morning to, to look a little bit at focus, hearing God and obeying. Now, in medicine... Uh, why is focus important in life? But in medicine, um, there's, there's an important aspect of this, we learn. Um, a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, Russ was talking about where our focus is. And if you're trying to miss a pothole, don't focus on it. Focus on where you're going. And I think this is a really important feature. And this morning, last week it was a biology lesson. This morning I'd like to give a physiology lesson. Um, acute pain pain that really hurts, if you break a leg or hurt yourself, is actually a real asset. There are people who exist who don't have pain receptors, and they're in real trouble, as much as pain is difficult. Now, there's a thing called the homunculus, and this relates to chronic pain, and this is what we look like. Not the most handsome little guy you've ever seen, but if we show the other picture, thanks, Tony, um, that picture's built from the parts of our brain that are focused on different parts of our body. And as from the previous picture you'll see, we've got big lips, um, fairly big head, huge hands, tiny little legs and feet. And that's because certain parts of our body need better sensory perception than other parts. The problem with chronic pain, which is a difficult pain because we've already got the message that something's wrong, but it keeps telling us is that as, as it does that, our brain focuses on that and the little part, or bigger part, that it's normally focused on that area of the body expands and amplifies. So, for instance, in that picture, if you look at the foot, it's quite small. And look how big the lips are compared to the foot on the other side. But if you've got a sore foot and a really painful foot and it keeps being painful, what will happen is the brain will actually expand the part of its brain focused on that area. And what, one of the things that for chronic pain that's um, more recently been an issue is trying to help people get through that, and they've run pain clinics specially focused on that area. And probably the most important person on the team in the pain clinic is the psychologist. 
And the psychologist works to try and diminish that part of the brain that's focused on the hurting part. And out of that, pain can often be settled or even resolved by where our focus is. And, and you know, God knows what he's doing. And, and we see that in life. And one of the, the sort of images for me was um, imagining having pain right here or something right here in front of me and the risk is that God then gets um, relegated to the other side of that. And I think it's really important, as this picture shows, that pain is somehow over here and God is here with me, in front of me, in relationship. And, and I love the way that this shows that. And I, I often use this with people coming in with chronic pain who are struggling with um, addiction to painkillers because... Um, the pain just kept going. They had genuine pain, and this explained it. But the focus was not on trying to... They weren't pretending they had pain. The brain had amplified the pain, and the focus became trying to minimise the brain's focus on that area of pain. So our focus is so important. So focus on God rather than the illness we're struggling with. Again, that's not so easy when pain, grief and struggle speaks so loudly in our brain. But I'd like to give two beautiful examples of people in the church, one in the church and one I've met many years ago, of how this works. This one's from Mary. She's shared before how she had a frozen shoulder. And um, we often saw that in, in medicine and in serving people, we often, people often came in with a frozen shoulder. And the problem was, at times, phenomenally painful, um, the, the tissue hardened up around the shoulder at times, became quite inflamed, and people couldn't do much more than that. So to lift their arm, they often had, they often had to do that. Um, Mary asked God for healing, and she slowly got better, as tends to happen in the disease, not always, but often. Um, but it wasn't a, a, a sudden, miraculous healing. But as also quite often happens... The other shoulder, later on, does the same. And it was really discouraging for people to tell them, this one's getting better, but sorry, but very likely this one's going to follow at some stage. Um, Mary experienced that. She again prayed for healing. And, but the shoulder carried on with pain, and um, she again couldn't raise her arm much more than that. One day, while focusing on God and praising him, she suddenly realised... My arm's up here. How did it get there? And I can assure you that in medicine, if we ever got it from there to there, you needed an anaesthetic to do it. It was called a manipulation under anaesthetic. You do not want it done without an anaesthetic. Um, it is so painful to, to move the tissues and stretch them again and break some of the almost crystals that are formed. But Mary suddenly found herself with her arm up there. But her focus was on God, the healer not on a shoulder. Another example of that, many years ago, that, that I, it, it first impressed me so much, was um, I met a young uni student, a young lady called Heather, and she had a severely twisted spine and had a rod attached to her spine to try and help straighten it. She struggled to manage her pain and had to cease her studies at uni. She was advised that she'd never be able to have children and she would have pain for the rest of her life. Um, she wouldn't be able to cope with the pregnancy in terms of her spine. She became engaged 
And on a Sunday afternoon, soon after engagement, she and her fiancé were praying. And she remembered as they were praying that she'd used her back deceitfully. There were times when she was younger that she was managing with it, but she lied about it to get out of things, to get out of school when she didn't want to go that day, and she would use it deceitfully. And God challenged her with that. And she was there and her fiancé together prayed, God, forgive me for using it that way. They were focusing again on God the healer. And as she prayed, she felt her back move and click. And the pain left. Since then, she's had three children. She managed to get back to uni and complete her studies. Again, she was focusing on God the healer. So as we focus on God the, the healer, we need also to listen to his voice. The verse we looked at last week, Exodus 15, 26. I'd like to look at that again, but just switch the emphasis a little bit. So Moses said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I've brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So God wants us in close relationship, in harmony with him, to hear his voice, follow him and what he's doing in our situation in life. Can I trust God with my life and health? Can I have faith? Do I have faith in what he says and what he's doing? And I realise that it's important that I don't limit God by what I think, what he should do, or by what I want. Like Jesus, when he was struggling in deep agony, can I say when things are tough, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. How important is it to hear God and obey his leading? To God, it's clearly very important, which means that it'll be very important for us too. Um, Throughout history, focusing, hearing and obeying by God's people hasn't always been easy or always that impressive. Um, As I shared last week, keeping reading through the Bible, I came across the the, the pictures and the the, um, patterns and stories of the Israelites moving through the desert, and it really struck me the way God was leading them in a very personal way. And I'd like to sort of just move sideways for a moment to use that as an illustration of hearing obeying. Um, I think that has a lot more examples than I can give you straight off um, directly in terms of healing, though there are some examples I'll come to. So looking at um, the Jews, the Israelites, um, they were needing to trust God as he took them away from their slavery and abuse in Egypt to reach the promised land. God had amazingly different responses when leading them into battle. Certainly no set formula for battle strategy. The lives of their nations, their families, their children depended on hearing God correctly and obeying him. Numbers 34 verse 2. God says, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance the land of Canaan, to its boundaries. God had promised the Israelites the land of Canaan. Abraham had already been there and lived there for a time. And Jericho and Canaan had springs which supplied life-giving water to the area. This was the promised land. 
But in Exodus 17, on the way, the people of Amalek attacked the people of Israel. And during the battle, um, God clearly indicated for Moses to take the staff of God in his hand and to stand on top of the hill and hold it up. And whenever he held it up in the air, the Israelites won. Um, they overcame the enemy. But if you got tired, and if you've ever held your arm up in the air for very long, you'll know you can't for very long. So it fell down. When it, fell, when it came down, the Amalekites won. And so in the end, Aaron and Hur, quite brightly, decided they'd help Moses hold his arm up. And in that way, they won the battle. Now, I'm intrigued to see what the Israelite um, army strategy manual said after that. I think it would be quite intriguing of how to fight battles. And then they got to Joshua 6. And they, had, they were ready to go into the city of Jericho with its massive walls. Remember, that's where the water was. Um, now, there's a problem, because could they do that again? Could they get Moses to hold up the staff and they could win? But no, Moses was now dead. And something else was happening. But God actually told them and instructed them to walk around the city once a day for six days, then seven times on the seventh day, then a loud shout. And as they did, the walls fell down flat, they walked in and took over the city. Imagining the general telling you the battle plans before you go. We're just going to walk. And then we're going to shout. And that's it. That's how we win the battle. God has amazing ways of his strategy. And again, hearing and obeying God is what brought them to the promised land. In Joshua 10, the kings around them joined them together to attack the Israelites. They weren't happy with them being there in Jericho and in the land. God said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. So what did they have to do this time? As they fought, they overcame the enemy, so they actually had to fight this time again. And their Lord sent large hailstones, which saved them from the enemy. So you don't know what God was going to do. And then the sun stood still for nearly a day to give the Israelites more time to win the battle. Last week, the sundial went back. This time, the sun stood still. God's really rocking and unsettling the earth and the sun or both to achieve these results. So being in his hands is the way to go. Again, God rocked our whole solar system to bring out his plans for his people. But I think the most beautiful example um, is King Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, leading his people. Um, 2 Chronicles 20, um, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Enemies combined to attack. Um, they were a massive force. And Josh, Jehoshaphat knew that he had, didn't have any power um, compared to this massive army. He didn't know what to do. And he actually reminded God that, God, you'd not allowed us to fight or Israel to fight these people as we came out of Egypt. So now we've got a massive problem. It's like he blamed God. Um, but God knew what he was doing. So 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1 to 4. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from far beyond the sea from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout the city of Judah. 
throughout all Judah. Sorry. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So the problem they had, they were in trouble with a massive, overwhelming enemy. So what was their response? They came together to seek the Lord. And verse 13 says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. They came to hear what God had to say. What's God's response? Verse 17, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So what was their response, their action? Verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, For his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. They focused on God and obeyed him. What was the outcome? So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies. Fallen on the earth, no one had escaped. So they didn't even need to fight. The enemies became confused and fought and killed each other. They attacked each other and they all slaughtered each other and they just walked in and the enemies had all all gone. God responded in many different ways and the Israelites needed to hear and obey. There were also situations where the Israelites presumed they knew what to do, but it went wrong or they chose to go their own way. There are numerous examples of this too. In Joshua 7, Israel was on a roll. They've won Jericho. They've just had to walk around, shout, and it's over. So this, they sent spies. Joshua sent spies out to check the town of Ai. So the, the spies reported, there only, we'll only need two to 3,000 men. We've got this. Um, don't weary the people, for the people of Ai are few. However, the men of Ai killed 36 and the rest of the Israelites ran for their lives. And it says, their hearts melted and became like water. The problem was they didn't consult God. What was he doing? Following this, they dealt with the sin and then followed God's advice and overcame Ai. Numbers 14. Initially, the people disobeyed God and refused to go into Canaan. The people acknowledged their sin, but decided to take it from there. Um, They thought, they could do it. They presumed that as God had promised the land to them, they could win the battle. But they were defeated by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. The problem was they presumed they could fix the situation their way. And 1 Samuel 4, the Israelites again defeated. Trusted in the ark, the covenant ark of God, more than they trusted in God of the ark. Russ has talked about this previously. The ark represented God's presence. But the problem was they thought the presence of the ark would save them while ignoring God himself. The Israelites clearly needed to listen to God and obey. Priority was relationship and obedience. And I've certainly learnt over the years that when I think I've got a handle on some things, and without realising it, I've actually said to God, effectively, I've got this, that I've come unstuck eventually, in a big way at times. At times, I've come back to God and desperately asked his help and had to listen very carefully again, as the Israelites did after their initial attack on Ai. 
In the same way as Israel's reliance on God in the desert, when it comes to God's response to illness, we need to listen to what God is saying and doing and be obedient. 2 Chronicles 16.12 says, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with disease in his feet. His disease was severe. Even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. His mistake was that he didn't seek help from the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 5-8 Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert, shall not see when good comes, but shall inherit, inhabit sorry, the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, will not fear when heat comes, and its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Allowing God to lead in response to illness his way. doesn't always turn out to be how we expect it, or would at times even prefer. But faith is in a God who knows what he's doing. Rush has, Russ has shared the example um, previously of his knee. Um, his knee has some pain and it's ageing. And he's asked God to heal this. <laughs> but there's been no improvement unless the things have changed more recently. But a while later, after this time, he broke his toe. And quite beautifully, God healed this, but not his knee at the time. So, so Russ is saying to God, thanks for the toe. I think that was going to heal anyway, but what about my knee? <laughs> but Russ still has faith in a God who knows what he's doing. And earlier this year, Paul Smith has a beautiful example of God knowing what he's doing. Paul had a, a pinched nerve in his neck, um, constant pain, with it, and his muscle in his arm was starting to become weak. It was getting worse, so he went to Melbourne and discussed options with a surgeon. Surgery was planned, but after the consult, Paul felt strongly about a surgical option that the surgeon himself hadn't suggested. So he went back and discussed this with a surgeon, surgeon and went ahead with the second option to surgery. When he woke up from the anaesthetic, his pain had markedly improved, he made an extremely rapid recovery overall. Has far better movement in his neck than he would have had if he'd gone ahead with the initial surgery that was planned. A much better outcome. Faith is in a God who knows what is best. I'd also like to take a look at Jesus' healings. Again, as I read through the Bible, it struck me that as Jesus healed people, there seemed to be something more to it. Um, it was beautiful to see people being healed. But there often seemed to be something he was doing with it or saying about the situation, uh, almost a greater purpose with his gift of healing. Um, so he kept healing people through his ministry. And yet these healings seem to address issues that are more than only physical healing. Um, it was generally considered in that culture that sickness was due to specific sin. And so it was punishment from God. The person as a sinner deserved to be ill. 
Jesus challenged this notion by giving a gift of healing to people who were despised. There were some who were offended by what Jesus did, as we talked about last week. If God was punishing them, why was Jesus healing them? And a great example that probably many of us know um, is in the Old Testament about this point of view of, um, of why people were sick, is Job. Uh, Job chapter 3, in Job, sorry, three of his friends came to visit. And they were really caring friends. Um, often we criticise them for what they said. But I think if, if my friends came and treated me the way Job's friends did, I would be most honoured. They made an appointment came together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. They wept, they sat with him on the ground for seven days and nights and didn't speak because they saw his grief was very great. I think if you come and sit with me for seven days and don't say anything, you've got the right to say something after that. <laughs> I thought they were, they were great friends in a way, but things still went wrong. That when they did speak, they would have been better to stay quiet, I think. Because <laughs> what they said was, all three of them told Job, your illness must be because of sin. So they had that view as well. It must be your fault and what you have done. And what was God's response to those three friends and what they said? God said, my anger burns against you, for you have not spoken to me what is right. His three friends weren't aware, obviously, of that conversation between God and Satan. And God had said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job, a blameless and upright man? And I think that same problem was pervasive um, at the time of Jesus. And interesting, when we look at Matthew 15, verse 22 to 23, it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demonised. But he answered her not a word. Seems a bit rude. Um, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. So she was from Canaan. She was despised. So even the disciples on occasion told Jesus to send some of these people away as if they were worthless. But Jesus accepted the sick, acknowledged their faith and healed them instead. There were 22 specific accounts of healing. With many of these, Jesus appears to be addressing issues of such as sin, the Sabbath, faith, forgiveness, God's acceptance of the marginalised and coming of the Messiah. There's a beautiful part in The Chosen, again, where the cripple, who's been crippled for 38 years, and it, it builds up his story, and he's by the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus um, talked about having a divine appointment and coming, and on the Sabbath, he healed him. So he had this habit of getting himself, Jesus had this habit of getting himself and others into trouble. So there's this beautiful, and I can remember talking to Mary about it the, the, um, the Sunday after I'd seen it. There's this beautiful picture of this guy who's, who's just lived in struggle and, and agony by the pool, waiting to get in, and eventually he gives up trying to even get in the pool. We can't. And Jesus heals him. And, and it's just so touching and so beautiful to see. So as instructed by Jesus, he's carrying his mat. And some of the Jews see him and say, what are you doing, carrying your mat on a Sunday? And he says, but, but I'm healed. Look, look, look. 
No, but you're carrying them out on a Sunday. And, and they, you feel like going through the TV and shaking them and saying, but look, look, he's healed. Can't you see? Something beautiful has happened. But no, the, the views and the perspectives had lost God's truth. And Jesus was trying to, to readdress these and bring these back. Um, and surrounding the healings, the beautiful healings, he was addressing lots of issues. He addressed issues of faith, um, issues of forgiveness. And, and that's often mentioned in the New and Old Testament with healing. And this really riled the Pharisees. And, and after healing the, the cripple and, and a couple of times, the Jews looked to kill him. They wanted to kill him for what he was doing. I'd, I'd like to share um, a couple of things God's done in my life. I'll, I'll have to be quick. Um, I, we, we often resonate um, with things that, that touch us and how we're um, designed, who we are, our personality. And uh, I'm fairly pragmatic. If I come to a problem or, or an issue, I'm inclined to think about it, reflect on it, and then move in and try and do something with it. Um, I... I know a number of people, and we'd all know people along this sort of range of personalities, that when they come to a problem, they immediately say, God, your problem. And I think God can manage both. You know, he wants us to listen and obey, but our personalities are different. But something, some beautiful things have happened in my life that I'd quickly like to share. And each out of the five responses of God, there are four that have been covered. And I, I guess you can guess um, death. I haven't experienced Well, you, you don't know. I might have been back from um, something beautiful God's done. Jesus did. Um, but no, I haven't experienced death yet. But I have experienced each of the other four responses. So five years ago, body surfing, tiny little wave, went over it. And I think my telomeres are getting pretty short because my neck didn't survive it. It broke in several places. Um, so I had to wear a neck brace for three months. Fortunately, it, it did pinch the nerve in my arm, um, but fortunately that healed beautifully. I, I think the neck brace was partly there to stop my head falling off, but it, it helped heal and, and the body did its job and it healed beautifully. My neck's a bit stiff, but I'm, I'm grateful that it's, it's what it is. And it took three months to heal. Then when I was 26, I was in New Zealand at Cape and Ray Bible School, a short-term Bible school. And for two years before that, I'd had this niggly sciatica in my leg. I knew what it was, hadn't done anything about it. Went out jogging one morning, got back, and suddenly it went wrong. Um, the disc had moved over and really pinched the nerve. I spent the next three months in bed, literally. I could sleep about two hours a night. Um, so I was awake 22 hours a day and night with constant pain. And, and for those who've had a pinched nerve, it's just this burning, niggly pain. And I was developing more and more muscle weakness in my lower leg, struggled to walk, couldn't bend, so showering, going to the toilet, with only things I could just manage, and they were a real struggle. So when you've got 22 hours a day to, to be there in bed, there's a lot of time to chat with God. There sure is. And God and I had lots of discussions. And... I came to the point where I said, God, I'm in your hands. This is your back. I don't know what you want to do with it. If I have to put up with this pain for the rest of my life, I don't know if I can, but I need your help if that's what you want for me. But whatever you're doing, I'm in your hands. Um, being fairly pragmatic, I followed through and had seen the surgery um, and the surgeon and um, had a couple of visits there. And then um, 
managed to be able to fly back laying down in the plane and come back and had surgery. I woke from the anaesthetic and I can remember the nurse saying, um, do you need something for pain? I said, no, 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 I don't have any pain. And, and as soon as I moved, yeah, I knew they'd been in there with a the hammer and chisel because <laughs> they took some of the bone away and some of the disc to free up the nerve. But it went beautifully. Five weeks later, I was out surfing. I can remember falling off a fairly big wave. I had time to think, five weeks after back surgery, this may not be good, <laughs> but it was fine. It, I landed well, not on the sand this time, but on, on the water, and, and I made a beautiful recovery. So God used the doctor in a beautiful way in the surgeon's hands. Um, like Russ, I developed a knee that, that was getting older. And for seven years, I struggled a bit with my knee. I could still do plenty of things, but it used to keep me awake at night. And to that one, I think God has said, I'm not going to heal that. That one you're going to have to live with, but I'll be with you. Um, an MRI showed I've got a cartilage tear, a cyst, a loose piece of bone in there. And the surgeon looked at it and he said, you're just getting old. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> but I've managed to stay active and do things that I love to do. And I'm grateful that God's helping me manage through that. Then 10 years ago, um, I, just following my surgery when I was 26, years later, I, I had no trouble for years, but years later the scar tissue then started to play up and, and pinch in my back. And I'd get twice a year probably, I'd get two weeks where I was out of action. I, I couldn't bend, I couldn't move again. Um, I could manage it. I'd go to work, but it, by the time I drove to work, my back had frozen. And, and I know Daniel and others have experienced this, um, Henry as well. Um, to get out of the car literally took 10 minutes. I'd try, no, it wouldn't work. It would be agony, so I'd try again, and, and I'd sort of hobble into work, and I'd, I'd walk up the passage like this, and patients would come in, and I'd try to look after them, but I'd, we sort of managed. Um, so that was going on. But 10 years ago, I'd, I started to wake at night, every night, with this pain sort of here. And I thought, oh, it's my back. And then after a week, I thought, no, this is different. That's funny. So I went along, saw my own GP, um, sent me off for a scan with him, it's probably kidney, and I knew the, the guy um, doing the scan, the radiologist, and he said, come in and we'll have a look at it. So we went into the little room, look at it. He stopped, he said, oh, you've got a lump. You've got a lymphoma. And um, so that's a, a cancer of the lymph glands. And so the next six weeks, it was about this time of the year, and Christmas came in between, I had bone marrow biopsies, looked down my stomach to make sure it wasn't a cancer there. Um, and then lots of scans, Hobart for PET scans, all sorts of things. And through this, for some reason, which I think is so beautiful, Helen and I were totally at peace. We didn't know what the outcome was going to be. We actually talked about, I said to Helen, how will you be if in 12 months I'm, I'm dead? You know, if I've gone to be with God, how will you manage? And we, we had those conversations. And I said, God, this is your body. You do with it what you want. Uh, I don't want to tell you what to do because I think you're much smarter, wiser than I am. But just so there's no misunderstanding, I am enjoying life and I'm happy to stay around. We had that conversation. Um, I continued to lose weight. I was tired. Uh, night pain got worse and I was booked for um, surgery. The surgeon said, it's a difficult place to get to. I don't know whether we'll go that way or that way, whichever. I'll, I'll make it up as I go, he said. And uh, so... so Surgery's booked for Monday. On the Sunday, the day before surgery, um, lots of people have been praying. I, I was even on the God squad, squad prayer list, which went right around the world as far as Russia. 
I learnt afterwards. But on the day before, on the Sunday before my operation, um, I, I had a powerful emotional experience about God being in control and relationship together. Um, four young men from there, some who've come along to church here, um, were going home at the end of the service. I was still just packing up. And they, they said, why don't we go back and pray for Rob? And they came back and said, is it okay if we pray for you? <laughs> like you'd say no. <laughs> and then, so they prayed. And in the afternoon, I asked the other elders to um, pray for me and anoint me. That night, I slept well. Went off to surgery in the morning and woke from the anaesthetic back on the ward. Um, family came to visit. That night, the surgeon came around and he said, and he, he actually looked really worried. And he said, um, I, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't get it. All they wanted to do was find it and do a little biopsy. They didn't want to remove it because that that's, does more harm than good. They just need a little biopsy and then work out what chemotherapy I needed. And, and he was really quite worried and he said, we, we couldn't find it. And he said, I, I, I've got all the scans up on the wall. There were endless scans that I'd had. And he said, it's there in every one of them. But when we've got in your tummy, it's difficult to get to. But... I'm worried because we couldn't find it. And he asked one of the other surgeons to come in, um, scrub up out of his surgery and come in. And he tells me, um, it's in my tummy. He said, we thought it might be up around your heart. So he put his hand up through my diaphragm, felt around my heart. <laughs> said, we still can't find it. I said, well, well that's fine by me. <laughs> so, and, and I think that's what the piece was about. God had done something beautiful. And I think it was the day before. More scans... Nothing there. Um, they, did, they did take one little lymph gland, but he said it looked normal. It proved to be normal. I've had no problem since. What is extra beautiful is this problem I'd had with my back that took me out of action two times a year, at that time also went. I don't know what God was doing in there, but something beautiful happened, and he took that away as well. So for, for the last 10 years, I've not had that crippling back pain that I had intermittently. Uh, in between, I could do anything, but just catching me out at those times. Focusing and listening to God may at times direct us to certain areas of response to what he wants to do. And in Launceston, we're blessed to have a ministry known as the Healing Room. And some of our people here are involved in that ministry. Um, the ministry is conducted at the Salvation Army Rooms. And uh, what are the Healing Rooms? The Healing Rooms provide a loving, safe, confidential environment where people come to receive healing prayer. Some are healed instantly. Others receive their healing progressively. A strong commitment exists to pray for a person for as long as they contend for their healing until they are healed. The ministry is an overall one for salvation, physical healing and emotional healing. And in reading through um, some of the, the work notes um, that go with um, for people that, that are involved in the ministry, it was beautiful to read, the process of ministry involves invite God's presence, hear his voice, see what he's doing, and speak and do what he says. So those involved in this ministry include Glenn Turner, Constance Kennedy, Steve Suber, and Margaret Johnson. And I'd just like to invite them to stand if they're here so that you'll know who they are. So, and thank you. Um, thanks. And, and Margaret, um, thanks you can sit down. So what I would invite you to do afterwards, if you would like to talk with them and, and feel that God has directed you into that area, or just get information from them. They're the four people 
to, to direct to. And I've asked Glenn at the end of the service to come to the front and, and just be here available as well so that anyone can share with them and come and find out about this ministry. So in conclusion, Jehovah Rapha is the God who heals. Jesus also demonstrated this during his ministry on earth. Even though Benjamin Franklin happened to say, God heals, but the doctor takes the fee. I think the... Yeah, I can acknowledge that. (laughs) But but it's God who heals. Um, Ask God what he is doing in the situation. What does he want us to do when illness occurs? Not my will, but yours be done. God wants us to be part of what he's doing, not going in a different direction. Don't presume on God. Find his peace. What does the great physician have for us? We all need each other and need to support each other in the context of God's response to any illness. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the most powerful healer and comforter today. And the manifestation of the Holy Spirit includes gifts of healing. We each have direct access to the healer. So again from last week, Matthew 6.33 sorry, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God. God uses all things for good. That's his good, and that will also be our good. So let's pray. Father, healer, thank you that you made a way for us to be back in relationship with you. Thank you for your gift of life that has given us through Christ, and we look forward to complete wholeness in your presence. Help us to focus on you, hear you and obey in every aspect of life, health and sickness, to know what you are doing in our lives through your indwelling spirit at present. We want to be available for you, to care, to heal, to comfort and to bring wholeness. We ask this, that you will be glorified in every way, in every aspect of our lives. Amen. So, yeah, remember, Glenn and the others from the healing room are happy to... um, be asked questions and to share what happens there. So encourage you, go with God this week, have a great week and enjoy his wholeness and his presence. And I appreciate you listening for two weeks. That's very special. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>